This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, Episode 12, from AllComic.com. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid. And holy crap, we got a uh, Anime Expo happened! Yeah, and with Anime Expo, we got a lot of licensing news. Oh boy! It's it's a good thing we're also not an anime podcast, because uh, our news oh. would have been doubled. Oh yeah, we'd have to record a four-hour-long podcast if we had Please, to talk about no, the anime no, stuff, too. No, no four-hour podcast. I can't do it. Not again. Um, not again. <laughs> I Like like I said, I, I like listening to long podcasts, but I hate editing them so much. Um, I mean, who oh boy. I mean, like, between... Uh, between all like uh, all of my favorite shows getting dubbed and then Crunchyroll doing like DVD and Blu-ray releases now, like it's kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Um. Just a disclaimer: I am buying both those uh, DVDs and Blu-rays for Gintama. I'm double dipping on those. I'd probably do the same for your Seatsura. <laughs> um. Yeah. If if only that were getting a Blu-ray release, right, Sid? I know. If only. <laughs> um so i think we should just get right into it but actually actually i just i lied uh before we get right into it um i think it's important to note that uh at the time of recording this episode uh haiku volume one has been released which that's a pretty big deal considering we don't get a lot of sports manga over here anymore but it it, i mean up until now at least because it looks like you know, with Haikyuu and Kuroko's Basketball, and even with, like, one or two titles we're going to be talking about in the news, um, it looks like sports manga is hopefully getting some kind of resurgence, and, um, you know, if you're a fan of Haikyuu and you want this to do well, you should really buy this first release, um, and, you know, let basically vote with your wallet, let Viz know that you want more sports manga, um, I think we talked about in a previous episode about how Viz is going to be releasing high. They're going to be releasing a volume of high Q every month until they catch with it to the uh, Japanese release. Uh, so you definitely want to support that. But anyway, th- that's just my little PSA. I just thought that was kind of important to mention. Um, so let's just get right into the news. Um, Sid, New York Times list. Go. Mm-hmm. This is the New York Times list for June 26th through July 2nd. Hey, my birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, by the way. Yay, yeah, I'm 23 now. That's a thing that happened. It's funny. We talked a whole lot about this series in the last episode, and guess what? We're going to have to talk about it some more again, because about again? half this list is de- is pretty much dominated by Tokyo Ghoul. Yeesh. Coming in at number one here is Tokyo Ghoul, Volume 7, on this list now for two weeks. And, yeah, maintaining its rank from last week with the number one spot. But then we have Volume 1 down there at number 3. On does us now for 52 weeks, a whole year. And down from number 2 from the previous week, but still obviously selling strong as ever. And Volume 2 is no slouch either at number 5 on this list for 31 weeks. And we've also got Volume 6 here at number eight on this list now for 11 weeks. So Tokyo Ghoul is selling as strong as ever. It's as popular as ever. No matter what we might think about it, it's clear that it's a big title here and it's here to stay. I'm kind of almost surprised that, um, I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but I'm kind of surprised that uh, 
that Toonami got a got a dub of One Punch Man before they got a dub of Tokyo Ghoul, considering how I mean One Punch Man is a big seller too, but it looks like Tokyo Ghoul just constantly dominates the list on a more frequent basis. I feel that Tokyo Ghoul is more popular as a manga than it was as an anime. That's true, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't think the anime really was... I mean, it was popular, but it didn't seem to be, like, insanely popular. In the same way um, One Punch Man was. It didn't really become, like, a sensation, but, like, the manga of Tokyo Ghoul is definitely one of the big sellers, like, in the manga... In the, like, North American manga industry right now, so... I mean, it's... I guess there are some series that are just more popular in the West as manga than anime, and Tokyo Ghoul is one of them. Hmm. I mean, it probably, I mean, I don't know if this is a fact or two, but I, I know the Tokyo Ghoul anime at some point just completely diverges from the source material altogether. Yeah, the second season is, doesn't adapt the manga at all, just becomes its own thing. Hmm. I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Probably, because I think a lot of people hate the second season, actually. Like, I've heard a lot of people who like the first season, like, really sour on the second season, so. So, so what you're saying is, um, in 20, let's see, 2022, we're going to get a Tokyo Ghoul Brotherhood, right? Probably, because there's also re-Tokyo Ghoul to adapt, so they won't be retread, they won't just be retreading half the series. <laughs> It'll be less than half the series, so they can bust through it a little faster, and there'll be plenty of other material to adapt into, like, a good amount of episodes. Hmm. But here, anyway, Sid, um... I, I, I think you desperately want to talk about number two on the list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At number two, we have Princess Jellyfish Volume 2. There you go. On this list now, it's debut week. And I am, of course, extremely happy about this. If anyone knows me at all, I mean, they know that I love Princess Jellyfish. It's one of my favorite manga currently running. I love Hikiko Higashimura. She's one of my favorite mangaka of all time. And it is extremely satisfying to see Princess Jellyfish do so well over here. Volume 1 also sold very well, and immediately afterwards, like, in response to that, Kadensha announced that they were going to, like, look into releasing more, like, Jose stuff. And so the continued success of Princess Jellyfish can only mean good things for, like, more unique, like, less traditionally... Com uh, commercialized? Commercialized, mainstream kind of work. Jose works in particular get licensed and released over here, including Akiko Higashimura's other works. So I am, of course, extremely happy to see Princess Jellyfish's continued success over here. And I hope it continues. So this was an extremely pleasant surprise for me. Hmm. I should probably start adding this to my list here because I, I think, um, I think they have all this on, um, on Crunchyroll, don't they? The manga? They have pretty much all of it. Last I checked, they had, like, up to volume 13, and there's, like, 16 or so volumes out now in Japan. See, I'm, so. I'm actually kind of surprised that um, you would think having it all on Crunchyroll available would hinder its sales somehow because it's all available, but, I mean, I don't know. that That's just what I think, but, I mean, I'm I'm glad that's not the case, apparently. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, there's still a lot of people who don't know they can like, legally read the series on Crunchyroll, I'm sure. That's true, yeah. There are some people who don't know they can legally watch anime on Crunchyroll still, for some reason. Uh, th there are some people who don't know about legal manga or anime at all, I'm sure. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's there a lot of people who need to find out about that. But regardless, I don't think that digital availability necessarily affects, you know, print sales, like, to a huge degree. At least, I mean, as we can see here, going down the list, there's some other titles that have been, like, digitally available on Crunchyroll that are still selling pretty well in print form. For instance, number six here on this list, Fairytale Volume 54, which is its debut week, and yeah, so that, I mean, the content in this volume is available on Crunchyroll, but the volume's still selling. And then, the rest of this list, we have some recurring stuff. We have Assassination Classroom Volume 1, back on the list from its previous rank of number 8, and has been on this list for 19 weeks on and off since its debut. Um, which I actually, I, I found that kind of surprising, but when I thought about it, I wonder if maybe it's back on the list because maybe, uh, I wonder if people found out about how the anime ended and how the manga ended and now maybe people are like finally going, like going back and being like, you know what, now that this has ended, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this out. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if the anime ending has encouraged people to seek out the series and read them for, and read it for themselves. And um, I, I also kind of think that for, um, for the very last two spots, if you want to mention those real quick. Yeah, it's reasonable to suspect that the conclusion of the My Hero Academia anime has also spurred interest in the manga, as we see both Volume 1 and Volume 4 here on the list at number 9 and number 10, respectively. And so, yeah, I, I think the anime has only done more to help My Hero Academia's popularity in the West, and I mean, surely it's just going to continue to grow with the release of the next season, I'm sure, which will really hype people up. But it's good to see My Hero hear academia like grow in popularity yeah i mean uh obviously i think uh yeah what you were saying uh yeah definitely i think the volume uh volume one of academia being on there definitely means that uh uh i think yeah now now that the anime is over um you know people are wanting to check it out from the beginning though in the case of academia you know we we know there's going to be a second season of the anime there just isn't a release date for that yet which speaking of which um I think Volume 4 being on the list probably indicates that now that the anime is over, people are definitely continuing from the end of the anime into the manga. I actually did do a little research on this because I'm going to be talking about Academia on another friend's podcast at some point. But um, I think uh, from what I've seen, it seems uh, the Academia anime ends... Um, I forget which chapter, but it ends somewhere in the middle of Volume 3 and into Volume 4, so... Yeah, it ends after, like, the villain, the first villain invasion thing. Yeah, yeah, so... So, I'm I'm kind of not... I'm not surprised seeing uh, Volume 4 at the bottom of the list here. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty good list. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have, like, a whole lot of variety. I mean, because... You know, 40% of it is Tokyo Ghoul, and it's still mostly Viz stuff, but yeah, I mean, Princess Jellyfish Volume 2 ranking so highly is definitely something to be excited about if you're really, ex if you really want to see more like unconventional, less uh, mainstream Jose works like get licensed and brought over over here, or if you're just a huge fan of uh, Princess Jellyfish and Akiko. Higashimura in general, so yeah. I, I just, I just think it's an interesting list considering that two of those mangas have an anime that just ended. 
But anyway, yeah, I think I think that's a pretty interesting, decent list. But uh, moving on from that, um, Hunter Hunter went on hiatus again. Who didn't see that coming? I sh- I sure did it. Guy went on for t- Togashi d- did ten chapters and left us again. But I I can't be too mad at him because he constantly like complains about uh, how 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 much pain he's in in every uh, every one of his jump comments. So I guess I can't be too mad at him. But still, moving on. Everyone who reads Hunter Hunter saw that coming. Pretty much everyone who's read stepped up for it for more than a year at least. Like, has experienced this kind of thing before, and has been burned out by Tagashi before. Kind of knew this was going to happen. But, I, at least we got some really cool stuff this time around. Like, the Ahsoka versus Krolo fight, excellent. All the development in terms of the Kakin royal bloodline, like, secession war, and Karapika's role and all that. That's really engaging, really interesting. Hopefully it doesn't take another two years for Tadagashi to resume all that, but uh, I was satisfied by the chapters that were put out, at least. Yeah, I was too. Um, see, what I hate about me reading the manga now is that I, uh, this is, this is kind of the, this is kind of my first, uh, this is my first, uh, relapse into a Togashi hiatus, so this is especially hard on me. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a veteran like all you guys out there. Don't worry, Colton. I used to feel the same way as you. I used to be, I was excited back in 2014 when Hunter Hunter came back and I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be great. And then nine weeks later, I was left with nothing but crushing disappointment. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I feel. But, uh, like, speaking of crushing disappointment, we kind of got confirmation a little while ago that, that, uh, Gintama was gonna be entering its final arc at some point. Uh, within uh, the next year or two, but uh, uh, I mean, if, if you're keeping up with Gintama, then it's become quite apparent that uh, this next arc has final arc written all over it, especially since uh seems that issue 32 of Weekly Shonen Jump has confirmed that Gintama is entering its final arc. I don't have much to say about that, except I'm sad and I'm going, I'm going to cry buckets when I read the final chapter of Gintama. I mean, we all knew Everyone who was keeping up with the series kind of knew it was coming based on, like, the direction the series took. Yeah, but we're, but, but, but we're all in denial. I don't, I, I kind of don't want it to end, but I also, I also, um, acknowledge the fact that it kind of has to have an ending at this point. Yeah. Well, I think it'll still be a little while yet before it ends. I mean, it might not even end by the end of this year. There, there still seems to be quite a few things that need to happen, but. Yeah, I mean. I mean. I'd rather have the series go out while it's still in its prime and like when everyone is still going to be like crushed, going to like really miss it when it ends rather than say, you know, Bleach where everyone has just been dying for a 10 and is going to breathe a huge sigh of relief when it does. So, you know, um, I saw somebody on my on my on my timeline on Twitter be like, "Hey, I I want Gintama, Gintama's final arc to have like a hundred chapters," and I'm like, "That's not gonna happen." Do you really want it to have a hundred chapters? That seems like it would drag. I mean, there's stuff to do, but I don't think there's that much. No, yeah, to do that would require a hundred chapters. Yeah, like that's that's not gonna happen. Like at that point, Gintama would have like bleach level pacing. Um. But but anyway, so um, 
uh, we, we keep mentioning Bleach and how we want it to end. Um, good news for all those people, I guess. Yeah, Bleach is ending. I mean, it, it was confirmed in the end of Volume 73 that the next volume, Volume 74, will be the last volume. And given that there's already been like six, seven chapters that have already been released that will be compiled into Volume 74, and then the release pattern of the previous volumes has been 11 chapters per volume, it stands to reason that there's only going to be around five chapters left as the time of this recording until Bleach reaches its conclusion. Yeah, I saw a lot of people not very happy about that. I mean, Bleach still has its fans. I mean, but even if you're not a fan of Bleach, you would probably question it, because based on the events in the series, it feels kind of ludicrous that Kubo can wrap up all the loose ends he has in just five chapters. Like, he sort of tried to clean bases with the most recent chapter, in that he kind of unceremoniously got rid of Gerard and Hoshwalt, so now Wok is the only villain left they need to fight. But now, like, Wok is so overpowered, and Ichigo has lost all his powers, you have to, you can't really imagine, like, how is Ichigo gonna beat this guy? And not to mention, there's so many loose treads that still haven't been resolved. Like, what was the point of Aizen in this arc? What was, like, Shinsuke gonna do with Aizen? And, uh, where are Ginjo and Tsukishima? Why haven't they shown up yet? They were teased, like, 150 chapters ago. Uh, and all a bunch of stuff like that. It's kinda weird, like, how is Kubo gonna incorporate all this stuff in that he set up in and have that all pay off in five chapters? The answer is obviously gonna be that he's not, or it's gonna be, like, a really rushed kind of like, inclusion of all these elements that is gonna, like, come off as kind of a mess. But, well, well, to, yeah. to be fair, I think, um, I don't know, like, uh, there could be a thing at the end of Volume 74 where maybe, like, maybe, yeah, it'll probably end abruptly, you know, in terms of its run and jump. Like, I, I think that much can't be questioned, but I feel like maybe, I don't know, if the ending is, is as abrupt and unsatisfying as everybody thinks it's going to be, I feel like maybe, hopefully at least Kubo maybe, like, draws a, um, what do you call it, kind of an epilogue bonus chapter kind of thing, maybe specifically for the release of Volume 74 to kind of help wrap things up a little better. I've, I've seen that kind of thing with a lot of different ending manga before, but, I mean, you never know. To be honest... I wouldn't be surprised if some of the things I just, like, complained about will be addressed in, like, next Monday's chapter, which will be out before this episode of the podcast goes out. So I'm sure that some of the things I've just complained about are going to be addressed in that chapter. Mm -hmm. But, like, in any case, uh, I mean, it's, it does feel like Bleach is going to have a rushed ending. Kubo clearly didn't plan for it to end this way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, now of all times, Jump would decide, hey, uh, let's cancel Bleach, finally. But, yeah, I guess it's about time. Kubo's Ruck ran out. And, you know, I mean, in terms of the chapter count, I guess it makes sense. Because it'll end with basically the equivalent to its 700 chapter, because there were these, there were like the 12 turn back the pendulum chapters and its three other flashback chapters that weren't like counted as part of the official chapter numbering, but are still chapters of the series. So when you factor those in, it will have like 700 chapters, same as Naruto when it ends. Oh yeah, that's right. So, you know, I, I, 
did not want Bleach to last longer than Naruto, so I guess I'm getting my wish here. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it, ha- how it goes, what kind of ending Bleach will have. I'm not expecting it to be very satisfying for longtime fans, but, I mean, it'll be an ending, I guess. Uh, well, one thing's for sure, um, hopefully Viz goes the route of, uh, of their Naruto app, where basically after Naruto ended, they, uh, they, they did, they basically dedicated an entire app to releasing a chapter of Naruto for free every day, um, until the, until, I, I'm assuming the, the end of its, uh, the end, the end of its run. I'm kind of hoping they do the same thing for Bleach, so I can maybe start a Bleach read-through. Well, I've already... Start, I've already started the process of gathering the volumes for Bleach Readsters so I can time out like a retrospective by the time it's over. But yeah, I mean, they might do that. I don't know if Bleach nearly has as big an audience as Naruto does necessarily to like justify that kind of thing, but it'd be interesting if they make it, sure. But anyway, so uh, Sid, there's there's some kind of Shonen Jump contest going on or something. Yes. Do you live in Japan? Do you think you have what it takes to draw an awesome, compelling shonen manga? Uh, well, no and no, no got... and no. <laughs> but but tell me anyway. Yes. Well, if you do, then Shonen Jump Rookie, which I think is a sub magazine of Shonen Jump, is holding a contest for insp- aspiring manga artist with Kantaro Yabuki who is the artist of Two Love Rue and some other stuff, as well as Black Cat, which was his own original series, as the judge. And even though, you know, Yabuki is, like, more well-known for, like, his fan service harem stuff these days, uh, the competition is open to any type of genre. Although the choices listed on the application form uh, specifically include... Battle, fantasy, school sports, romantic comedy, comedy gag, and mystery horror. And entrants can pick up to two genres to mix together and kind of build their series around. Personally, I would probably go for either comedy and gag and mystery and horror, or maybe, or maybe battle and comedy. Mm-hmm. Those those would be the two that uh, I'd probably go for personally. If I lived in Japan and I were as eligible for this contest, I think I would want to try making a magical girl series. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so I guess battle fantasy, maybe? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, shonen magical girl series that isn't fan servicey. That would be something I, that, I think that would be interesting. But yeah, so. Basic. So yeah, this contest uh, will last until September 30th, with winners announced in November or December, and the winners will receive prizes or a trophy from Yubuki himself, as well as a publication of their one shot in Jump Plus. They'll also get prize money. First place uh, will get a uh, 500,000 yen. Equivalent of $4,874 for a grand prize. There'll be 100,000 yen. Uh, equivalent of $9.75 for the second place. And then the third place uh, will just get $487, aka 500,000, 50,000 yen. So, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty cool contest, I think. I mean, I wish I lived in Japan. 
to try it out. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty cool. I'm interested to see what kind of stuff would come out of this and if maybe any of these uh, one-shots we get, like, published over here, like, just as, like, maybe the grand prize winner would get, like, published in our jump as, like, a special or something. Speaking of awards or, like, I guess uh, recognizing talent, two manga have been nominated for the Harvey Award, which is a uh, award ceremony, which is like awards uh, given out uh, by, uh, voted on by comic book creators for uh, other comics and comic book talent. And so uh, this week, uh, the Harvey Awards announced that uh, their ballot would include uh, in the best American edition of foreign material category, it would include Wiz's release of uh, One Punch Man and also Drawn and Quarterly's release of Shigeru Mizuki's Showa A History of Japan, which are up against some other like uh, popular international titles like Corto Maltese, uh, The Realist, Two Rudders, and it's, it's a pretty cool honor. And we'll hope, um, hopefully, like, either Showa or One Punch Man will win the award, because I think they're both deserving titles. Yeah, so that's that's all cool. I still haven't, I haven't read Showa, so by default, I'm kind of rooting for One Punch Man. I like, I like Shigeru Mizuki's stuff, and I think he's underrated in the West, so I would, I think I would, re- I'm really pulling for Showa, but both are very deserving series. But then again... So are the, uh, I'm sure so are the other, like, nominations for this, uh, award, but I haven't gotten around to reading these, even though I've heard about them, so. You know, just a, just a small tangent, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the, uh, podcast yet, but I did recently buy the kind of test volume of, um, of Kitaro that I think Drawn and Quarterly put out before they actually started releasing Kitaro, um, uh, I guess, uh, regularly, so... Um, I need to get around to reading that because it it really it really does look like it'd be a really fun read. Yeah, that was great. I wish one of the animes were put on Crunchyroll. Hey, maybe maybe we'll get a new anime and then Crunchyroll can pick that up. Yeah, I really love the Kitaro theme song too. I think it's one of the classics in all of anime, which is why they keep whenever there's a new Kitaro series, they just remix that opening hmm, okay. and use it again. Yeah. It's really good. I like it a lot. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so on to our next news piece. Uh, so Blue Exorcist is apparently getting a new anime series. And uh, from from the, uh, I don't know what you call it, I guess teaser visuals that I've seen around on the internet, it looks like... Uh, it looks like this particular series is going to be covering the uh, Kyoto arc of the manga, mm-hmm. which uh, coincidentally was uh, was uh, was the arc that uh, that I read all of before I kind of dropped Blue Exorcist. Um, so I don't maybe, maybe I'll watch it. I mean I don't know. I actually remember not. I mean not that the not that that arc is like terrible or anything, but I remember not really. I don't know. Like it didn't really. Uh, I, I didn't really care for it too much. I thought it was just kind of okay. Mm. I mean, I wasn't into Blue Exorcist a whole lot until the Kyoto arc, and that's when I really started to get into it more. Mm. 
So I really like the Kyoto arc a lot, personally. See, I'll probably like that arc more animated because uh, I know that from what I remember of that arc in particular, that arc kind of focused on um, not him in particular, but kind of focused on more on Bond and his in uh, his kind of clan or whatnot. And I'm looking forward to seeing that animated mostly because I love Kazuya Nakai and he's one of my favorite uh, uh, anime actors. So uh, that's going to be fun to hear more of him personally, but. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kazuya Nakai uh, voices a lot of, uh, he's usually typecast as a lot of, like, swordsman characters, so he ends up voicing a lot of characters like Zoro from One Piece, Mugen in uh, Samurai Champloo, and uh, Hichikata from Gintama. So, so there you go. Um, I don't know, Sid, will you be watching this? Probably. I like the Kyoto arc, and, you know, I didn't like the first Blue Exorcist anime, but that was because I didn't like a lot of the material it was adapting, and the anime original stuff was kind of, eh. But, like, I liked the material of Blue Exorcist, like, af- from Kyoto Arc and onwards a lot, so I probably will enjoy this. See, see, that's funny, because I actually, I actually really liked the Blue Exorcist anime, the first one, up until the um, anime original stuff they started doing. <laughs> I don't know, I just couldn't get into, like, the more, like, school-based stuff in the beginning, I guess. I mean, when they start going out and doing, like, missions elsewhere, that's when I got more into Blue Exorcist. So, hmm. I don't know. Mm, that's fair. Um, So, that'll be cool to watch. Um, I believe that's going to be premiering next year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, look forward to that. Um, Something else that uh, neither of us are really looking forward to all that much. Uh, Sid, you want to talk about that for a little bit? I will talk about that of this in exactly 10 seconds. Okay. I'm timing you. Kodomo no Jiken met its Kickstarter goal. Okay, cool. Uh, so, that's cool, I guess. Uh, Sid, I think there's uh, something else that, that you'd rather be talking about. Yes. So, there's been a lot of talk about the Ghost in the Shell live-action movie, whatever your thoughts on that. Um, it's still pretty interesting to see, like, a big Hollywood adaptation of a popular, like, anime manga property. And another really big one seems to be uh, in the works here, in that a live-action Lone Wolf and Cub film is planned to come out in 2017 by SP International Pictures, who are also the guys behind the Ghost in the Shell movie. And there's no word on who the director is yet. There's no, like, casting news yet. It's just news of that they are making it. But I love uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, and Lone Wolf and Cub has worked before in live action. So, I mean, it had a very good series of films Japanese-made films, but live-action films nonetheless, uh, in, like, I think the 80s, 70s or 80s, that were really good and uh, really entertaining. So I think Lone Wolf and Cub would work st- work really well with a modern, like, live-action update. My only concern is that I don't want them to turn it into a Hollywood blockbuster kind of movie. I want them to just update the kind of uh, you know, sam- classic samurai, uh, type movies that the old Lone Wolf and Cub films were. And if they do that, I think, like, it could turn out to be a really cool film. 
And especially if they get a great action director to work on it, then it will have some pretty kick-ass action scenes. Lone Wolf and Cub manga is full of great action sequences. It lends itself really well to that. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential in this project, so I'm hoping for from, for good things from it. I don't know. Me personally, and I'm I'm not going to pretend that uh, I've gotten around to reading that first volume of Lone Wolf and Cub I still have waiting for me on Comixology, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm... I'm an expert on the source material, but from the little I've seen, if this is going to be an American live action adaptation, I'm not sure if I trust it. I'm not sure if I trust this adaptation to, I guess, adapt the material tastefully is, is what I'm saying. I mean, I guess it depends on what your metric for tastefully, like, tastefully in what context. I mean, like, Kazue Koki's works are not entirely tasteful, I don't think. Like, Lone Wolf Cup is the most tasteful, but you read his other stuff, it's not... There's some questionable stuff, but mm, I mean, in terms of, like, well, well, I, well, here, treating I, the source material with respect, I mean, yeah, I guess that's something to be concerned about. We have that, that's, that's what I mean. We haven't burned on, with live-action captains of manga in the past that haven't really treated the source material with the respect and, and just tried to do their own things with the IP, like Dragon Ball Evolution, that is Dragon Ball in name only, pretty much. I'm so. like, uh, like I'm kind of worried about like uh, maybe maybe they decide uh, to cast Keanu Reeves as uh, as as the main character or some stupid shit like that. Uh, yeah, there's a definitely a danger there. I mean, this is a, I mean, Ghost in a Shell. I mean, I don't know. I guess. You could change, like, the place of Ghost in the Shell so that you can, like, justify having white multiracial actors in there or, like, not predominantly Japanese actors. But with, like, Lone Wolf and Cub, that takes place in, like, Edo period Japan. You can't get around that. Because the history of that period is, like, intrinsically tied to the plot of Lone Wolf and Cub. So, you really gotta, like, treat the source material with respect in the case of Lone Wolf Cub. You gotta shoot it with a predominantly Japanese actors and keep true to the setting and spirit of the original source material. So, there is reasons to be worried in terms of, like, there's a lot of things that they're going to have to, like, actually try harder than they might normally would with some other, like, series that they would just change the names of the characters and set it in America or whatever. Like, I think that's what they're doing with Death Note. But, yeah, I mean, I still think that there's a lot of potential in this. Like, I think it can be done. I, I hope so. So, I'm hoping for good things from it. Oh, actually, here here's a here's another kicker. Not only, not only would they cast Keanu Reeves, but th- they cast Keanu Reeves as the father, and then they cast uh, the baby as Dakota Fanning. <laughs> That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Uh, I keep I keep forgetting that Dakota Fanning is not uh, actually. How old is she nowadays? She's not. She's not a kid anymore. I don't think. Right. Uh, Dakota Fanning is twenty two years old. Oh, never mind. She's past her prime as a as a child actor. Uh, Maybe she can be one of the like I don't know some prostitute that <laughs> Ito has to kill or something. I don't know. There's a lot of women. Who like die, who are there are a lot of prostitutes in the Wolf and Cup. A lot of also female assassins who die too. So yeah, mm. yeah. But 
I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a little I hate to say it, I'm a little pessimistic about this, but I would like to be proven wrong. Yeah. Let's hope we are. Let's please, I hope so. But uh anyway, so on to more specific manga news. Um so Kodansha looks like um looks like they're finally doing something with uh with some of the Del Rey stuff they rescued. Um because apparently like they, they talked about back in uh two thousand and ten how they like wanted to pick up some of that stuff and do something with it. And it looks like now they're finally doing something with it a whole six years later. It looks like uh they've put up some uh some uh some pre orders for uh for some digital releases on the iTunes store. Uh, including School Rumble, Alive, uh, Nodame, Contabile, Contabile, I don't know. Contabile. Contabile, thank you. And Princess Resurrection. Um, so, yeah, like I said, uh, looks like starting July 26th, those are going to be available digitally on the iTunes store, which I kind I kind of hope maybe we can, maybe I'm able to maybe buy these on Comixology at some point, because I... I hate using the iTunes store so much. It's a These are also available on Comixology. Oh, are they actually? Well. Yeah, if you check Comixology, they have them like listed. Okay, so they'll okay. be available at the same time these are available on iTunes. So that's weird. I, I couldn't find it the last time. Maybe I just wasn't using Comixology right. Okay, well, I'm going to trust you then, Sid. Uh, okay, good. I mean, as, as much as I hate using the iTunes store, iTunes store is a pain in the ass, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's good that Kodansha's... Uh, uh, that, that like especially with school rumble we're gonna finally hopefully get school rumble co- uh, uh, completely that'll be nice yeah that'll be extremely nice i mean i've been a fan of school rumble for almost 10 years at this point and yeah definitely to ha- be able to complete the manga like digitally uh legally will, will be really really good so I'm I'm extremely happy about this news, and you know I've been meaning to read No Dame Contabile too for a while, so it's cool to see that get licensed and I mean relicensed, rescued, whatever, and like that be completed as well. So I'm really looking forward to this. But uh, <clears throat> looks like along with these um, with these uh, relicensed rescues, whatever you want to call them, uh, it looks like Kodansha is also. Uh, also through iTunes, gonna be uh, looks like they've already actually my mistake have uh, have released an early soccer manga by by the author of Your Lie in April, uh, called uh, Sayonara Football, and uh, that's uh, it's a pretty short series. It's about two volumes, and uh, looks like you can uh, looks like you could buy it on iTunes right now. Yeah. I'm sure this will also be available on Comixology if it isn't already. Yeah, I th- this this one I know I tried to find on Comixology and I couldn't find it, so I'm hoping at some point it makes its way there. Yeah, it's interesting that this author, this mangaka, seems to be really interested in like soccer as a subject. So yeah, because we made- yeah we we didn't we talk about on a previous episode about her new soccer manga called My Dear Kramer or something like that. Yeah, and so, like, now that she has one successful series under her belt with Your Light April, she's gone back to, like, soccer and made a whole new soccer manga, which I find really interesting. Like, she, there's, like, that she's, she's used the, like, kind of creative freedom granted to her by having a success under her belt to go out and, you know, revisit a concept that she really wants to do, and I have to respect that. So that just makes me more interested in reading both her this uh, early soccer manga she's done and also her currently running one. Hmm. 
yeah, I'd, I'd like to read that at some point. I mean, I, I'm all for reading shorter stuff. But uh, there, there's some stuff going on with Dark Horse in a particular uh, manga by, uh, by what's his name? Yasuhiro Night, not Yasuhiro. Yasuhiro Nighthawk. Thank you. Yes. Say, yes, say, the creator of Trigun. I love Trigun. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite series of all time. And yeah, it's been a long time since uh, Dark Horse has released a volume of Blood Blockade Battlefront. And last year, when they were asked about it, they said they didn't have any plans to release future volumes at that time. But luckily, it seems that now they are working to continue their releases of Blood Blockade Battlefront, at least the final three volumes of the first series. And there's there's no like news on when they will be able to get those out, but they are working on it. And that in of itself is a relief to hear. Because I don't, I didn't want that series to like just be dropped over here because it's such a good series, and you know, especially with the anime, like it's gotten a lot more exposure. I feel it would have been a complete waste to just drop it at this point when it says more more popular than ever. So I'm definitely very happy to, about that, especially since you know, Ikana, the only way to read Replicate Battlefront is to read it legally. There are like no scans, so. Oh wow! Really. Yeah, there are no scans. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, there, this is definitely something I'm very happy about. And hopefully, after they're done releasing, like, the remaining volumes of the original series, they'll go and do license to direct sequel back to back. And, uh, they'll, they'll put that out too. So, definitely, definitely very happy about this. And hopefully, they also, uh, continue Drifters as well. That was another series they said they didn't really have plans to continue more with, but with the anime coming out this fall, I mean, I'm hoping they will also start continue that series as well, because that's another fun little series by Kuta Hirano of Helsing fame, so. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely want to read Drifters at some point, because that, that actually did look, uh, pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, so, pfft, I, I don't know how to transition into this, but uh, some other pr- pretty big news happened uh, pretty recently. Um, so it looks like uh, we finally got a sort of release date for uh, Attack on Titan, the second season of the anime. Yeah, next April. Next April 26, uh, 2017. Oops, I almost said 2016. Uh, so, I don't know. Sid, have we, have we talked about how you feel about Attack on Titan before on the show? Yeah, there's some problems with it overall. I mean, there are definitely points that I find questionable. I think that where it is right now, I really like. So I'm I'm enjoying the current material, and I have been for the last year and a half or so. So that I think that it's in a good place right now. So I'm definitely like interested in seeing the anime, even though I'm sure that I'm still gonna not be fond of the parts I wasn't fond of, you know, reading originally. But yeah, I mean, people have been waiting this for like four years, so you know it's good that they finally put it out. I mean, I think it makes sense too. I mean, this manga seems like it's gonna be wrapping up in not soon, soon, but like I I could see it wrapping up by the end of next year, maybe. Really? Like, huh. Well, next year it'll also like reach its a hundred chapter, and there was like a, also an estimate by uh, the mangaka like a long time ago that he would end it around the 20th volume or whatever. Huh. And I, so I think that would also time out like 
just right in terms of the content too. Mm. And you know, especially if you consider what's been happening in the like latest chapters, like it it feels like we are entering the end game of Attack on Titan. So I think it's definitely a real possibility. Well, see that that's really interesting to hear because I've only I kind of only like Attack on Titan enough to just wait until the anime comes out. I I mean I I liked what I watched, but. For some reason, I just I didn't care enough about it to read the manga past that. So I don't know about anything that happens past the end of the first season. So that so that that's kind of interesting to hear. I, I didn't realize that uh, the end game was in sight at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that one benefit of the anime having taken the second season having taken so long is that it probably can continue on without too many breaks. Like, they won't take another long break for a third season. Like, I can easily see, like, next year we get uh, the second season, then a year later we'll get the third season. Or it could be, like, maybe even a kind of... They have a break every core or so. Like, they run for a core, take a break for a core, run for a core, take a break for a core. Like, Dorara. Like, I could easily see it like, stick keeping current with the manga and ending around the same time as the manga. So I definitely think that's a benefit of having waited so long to put out the second season. So uh, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I'm not passionate about Attack on Titan. Oh, me neither. I do think there are good... I think I do think are merits to it. I do think there are some very questionable parts to it and parts I am not really fond of. But I am looking forward to the second season because I do think that the anime does like quite a pr- improve upon the manga just in terms of the art and like kind of the excitement level that is brought to the action scenes and whatever like the art in Attack on Titan has gotten better as it got as it's gone along but the anime is more like aesthetically appealing so that's enough that's something to its favor also it has good music and whatever Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to the second season because I know it's going to be a big deal for, like, anime, for the anime community. Like, this is, Attack on Hunt is a big property. People are still excited for it. I think that it can only, that its return is only going to do good. And, like, even though there are parts that I'm probably not going to like in the anime, just like I didn't like them in the manga, like, there are still parts in the manga that I'm looking forward to seeing animated. So, there's a, there's still stuff that I'm excited. I am really interested to see in the anime. There you go. But uh, moving on from that, um, Viz has been uh, doing some pretty awesome stuff that I really want to talk about. So not only has Viz kind of like redesigned their website, but it looks like uh, they're, they're offering a, a lot of different manga for free now. And that the, uh, on their site at uh, at viz dot com slash shonen jump, um, Sid, uh, remind me we should probably put a link to uh, to to where people can uh, read some of this stuff because uh, of course uh, there there is some there is some stuff on the website that I think people would be interested in. Um, I'm on the website right now, and at at the time of this recording, you know, barring they add anything new, which I, I kind of hope they do. As as we're currently recording, they have up to chapter eleven of Haikyuu, uh, up to chapter nine of Kuroko's Basketball, uh, the first two chapters of uh, Naruto Chibi Sasuke Sharingan Legend, um, the first four chapters of Blue Exorcist, um, the first four chapters of The Emperor and I, which is a comic that runs in uh, Jump Plus. I'll talk about that in just a second. 
Uh, Tokyo Ghoul Jack, first two chapters of that, which I guess is a prequel to Tokyo Ghoul. Um, it's like a spinoff. It's set in the same universe as Tokyo Ghoul. Okay. Uh, they have the first two chapters of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 1 Phantom Blood. Uh, first three chapters of One Punch Man. Uh, two chapters of Dragon Ball Super. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second, too. Um, and then it looks like they have, uh, I think chapters 28 and 29 of Boys Over Flowers Season 2. Yeah, though that one had already been running free chapters of, as they came out for like a year and a half now. Oh, okay, but, yeah. okay, I see. But yeah, the other stuff, like, this is pretty cool to have. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool that they're giving people a chance to preview Haikyuu and Kuroko's Basketball, because I know those the releases for both of those have been very anticipated. Um, and it's nice to get extra stuff like, you know, the little spinoffs here and there and The Emperor and I, which, uh, Sid, have you been reading any of The Emperor and I? Because I, I really do want to talk about this real quick. I read the first chapter. It was pretty cute. Um, I've I've been keeping up with it. It's... It is so cute. It's basically just a, it's, it's a colored gag manga about, about a girl and her mother. They live together and, um, not, not, to, I guess, I guess I kind of have to give away the first gag, but, uh, she, the, the, the first chapter of the emperor and I basically opens up with this teenage girl opening up her fridge and finding an emperor penguin, as you do. Um, and basically the rest of it is just her keeping the emperor penguin as a pet. It is one of the cutest things I've ever read, and I I love it, and I want an anime for it. You know, it reminds me a lot of this one, like, one shot when Wiko Takahashi did back in the 80s, where it was about this woman raising this penguin as a pet for her friend or whatever. Like, it, it, it reminds me a lot about, like, it, a lot of that. So, pretty interesting. I mean, uh, it's it's pretty cute. Um, I, I know my brother has been really frustrated that they haven't added it to MAL yet for some reason. Hmm, that's but, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really cool to have this kind of series available and, like, just all of this stuff available. Like, people have been wanting new content for Jump for so long, and they've really responded in a big way here, and I have to commend them for that. Yeah, this is this is a pretty good move. I I really want to see um where else this goes. Um I've been constantly saying yelling on Twitter that I like after reading The Emperor and I I really want to see more stuff from Jump Plus. I want to see stuff like this and Tokatsu DJ Akitaro available in English and just a bunch of things like that. Um Sid, you should read more of The Emperor and I. It's really cute. I love it so much. Mhm. I will. Uh, I guess we should really uh, we should really talk about Dragon Ball Super because uh, that's kind of a big deal that Viz has the manga for that before the anime is legally available at all. Yeah, it's not something I would have expected. I mean, Viz hasn't released like other Dragon Ball like I don't know, kind of like the stuff Toyotaro has drawn before. Like, there's other Dragon Ball kind of spinoffs. There's like Dragon Ball SD. There's this. Uh, Dragon Ball manga based on, like, this one, like, game Yeah, it's, thing? it's, uh, That's Dragon Ball Heroes. Yeah, Dragon Ball Heroes. Yeah, so there's those that they haven't released, but, yeah, it's pretty nice that, even though the anime still isn't available, because, I don't know, Toei's dicking around in front of me. Or <laughs> but, uh, it's nice that we at least, it's nice people can at least legally experience the events in Super and manga form, legally, so that's, that's good at least. 
even though you're we're still gonna have to wait a bit until they get to the parts that aren't in you know the first two films but still we're gonna get those parts and you're gonna be able to read them which is about i don't know if it's as good as watching them necessarily but it's better than nothing well here sid have you watched any of dragon ball super at all you're kidding me right I, well, I don't know. There are some people out there who don't want to watch Super because it's not legally available. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. I watch fan subs for it. But that doesn't mean that, you know, when it gets when when and if this gets picked up officially, legally, I will rewatch all of Super. Mm, well, I mean, I'm just saying that because, you know, that like Dragon Ball is like a big deal for me like that. That's such an important series for me. Like that was that changed my that Dragon Ball has changed my life in more ways than anything else ever. Like I, I don't think I'd be the same person I was today without Dragon Ball. So Dragon Ball is important to me, of course. I'm going to be watching Dragon Ball Super. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. No matter how bad, no matter how bad it is, because it's Dragon Ball. Well, I, I will agree. There are parts of Super that are pretty bad, but um, overall, I, I, I really like it enough. Yeah, honestly, I think that once they got to like the Universe Six stuff. I started enjoying it a lot just because it was new material. There's some fun moments. I don't think it's really hit its prime though until the recent dark with, you know, uh, future chunks, Goku Black, all that stuff. That's been really, that the plot is finally actually interesting. Uh, actually, actually so. I, I don't, I don't know how you're going to feel about this or I don't know if you saw me tweet about this a little while ago, but I actually, I actually enjoy the in between episodes. Like, I, I enjoy the in-between arc stuff more than I do the actual arcs so far themselves. Yeah, I feel the same. Like, drag, like the goofy, like, standalone comedy episodes have been more in- in- enjoyable than the plot stuff generally before, but now the plot is actually interesting with the new arc. Like, before, like... Battle of Gods and Resurrection F, those are just retreads of the movies. The yep. Universe 6, like, there's some fun bits in there, but the plot itself is not really, there's not really much of a plot. There's just a bunch of character moments, and there's some fun character moments, but there's also some kind of padding and some kind of, yeah, quite, some kind of parts that are a little frustrating. Like, do we need Goku and Vegeta to just own the entire tournament by themselves? <sighs> Do we need that? Couldn't we have had Piccolo win some, win one for once? Couldn't we have Boo do something for once? Boo not being able to participate because he fell asleep or whatever, that, that pissed me off. <laughs> Cause I love Boo. I love Boo. And so I wanted to see Boo, you know, finally get to do stuff again. But of course, no, they couldn't have that. They had to just no, have never. Goku and Vegeta do shit again because they're Goku and Vegeta. They're the only characters that matter now. <laughs> so yeah, but, but they're good moments. I really like the fight between Goku and Hid and, and that was really good. But, uh, yeah, main, but like the mini, the episodic stuff, the like goofy comedy episodes, those are have been the most fun. Up till now, because, you know, you get some cute stuff, like, uh, the episode where, like, Goku lost all his power because of his fight with Hid. And, that made me, that, he couldn't, that, that, that episode made me really sad, because Goku is actually sad about something for once. That's not something you see every day. But there's some cute moments with Pan. Yes, mm. there are, and, oh, I thought I was gonna, like, I thought my heart was gonna explode because those were so cute. 
Oh, and also the episode where Beerus has to dress up as Manaka, like to trick Goku into thinking that Manaka is still is this super strong guy. That's an hilarious episode. <laughs> was the best. Yeah, oh, that, that's an awesome episode. Uh, but yeah, so Supers has its problems. It's had its good points, but now finally, like I think that in just in terms of actually having an interesting plot, the new arc is finally delivered. It took a year, but now we're finally getting to really interesting stuff with Super. So that's good. That's good. But uh, anyway, pretty much uh, we from from here we should probably move on to the anime expo stuff. Indeed, because we have a lot of anime expo stuff to talk about. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, so. I'll start off with the Viz stuff real quick. So we were we were just talking about Super. So obviously Viz has been uh Viz has been putting up free chapters of Dragon Ball Super on their website because um they're going to be putting it out in print. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be cool. Um along with uh the Water Dragon's Bride and Gundam Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. So that'd be neat. Um oh and also uh JoJo Part 4. Mhm. Uh, that like Sasaki Hisashi himself, f- former editor in chief of Weekly Shonen Jump, looks like now he works exclusively with Viz. It looks like yeah. down in down in San Francisco. Um, pretty much confirmed himself that they're bringing over Diamond is Unbreakable, but they 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 don't they basically don't have a release date for it yet. But it's coming. They've confirmed it. It's coming, and I'm so excited. Of course, who can't be excited for Mojojos? I mean, oh yeah, and Diamond is the best. I mean, Diamond is the like the best part of all the parts this is really so far so that's gonna be great and you know i just want to keep them you know i just want them to keep releasing jojo's because then we'll get stone ocean and steel ball run the best parts to date and i am going to really be i'm going to be so happy when those are like in english and print over here i might actually pick up a part four the first volume of part four day one because i want to own that i probably will because i love jojo's that much but uh, they're also they're also releasing a um, a uh, and how to draw a manga book from uh, from Araki himself, and that I will also get because I am really interested in reading that. I, I am too. But uh, moving on, uh, we got uh, I guess Vertical picked up a thing. Uh, what what did they pick up? Sid? They picked up uh, Nizo Monogatari novels with the first volume slated for next April. And yeah, Nizo and Monogatari, I mean, that's part of the Monogatari franchise. I don't think that needs much of an introduction. But yeah, so you love that series. You get it more. So be excited for that. Definitely know a few people who are going to be picking those up. Uh, this one I'm actually kind of excited for. So Yen Press picked up some stuff. They picked up a lot of stuff. Two of the most exciting pickups I think I'm the most excited about are uh, they picked up Erased. Which I I kind of saw coming, but it's it's nice to finally uh, get some confirmation on that. They're gonna be, they're basically gonna be releasing all eight volumes in like these two in one hardcover Omnibuy editions, uh, starting uh, spring twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. But not before they bring over Bungo Stray Dogs this December. I I actually really like the anime for that one, so I might actually uh, take a look at that one. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like the erased manga as much as the anime, but it's still good that they're bringing it over because there's definitely an audience for it here. Uh, Yenpris picked up some other stuff. Uh, do you want to go over some of that real quick, Sid? Sure. They picked up quite a few things. They picked up uh, Raka, Braids of the Six Flowers, both the manga and the light novels. They picked up a series called The Isolator. They picked up the manga for Big Order. 
for some reason. Uh, they also... Big Order authored by the same person behind Future Diary. Oh, okay, now that makes sense. I did <laughs> Did you not know that? No, I didn't. I, all I knew is that people didn't like Big Order. Oh, trust me. I watched the... F- I, I couldn't even get past the first, like, ten minutes of that first episode. I really didn't like it. Yeah, but the the fact that it's by the Future Diary creator, that makes sense. Both in terms of the problems with it, and also in terms of, like, why they would license it, because Future Diary is really popular. So, okay. Future Diary, I at least thought was interesting. And then they've licensed uh, Smoke and Parade, which is from the Deadman Wonderland mangaka, I think it's from. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, that, that, that I'm excited for, because I love Dead Man Wonderland, so I'm gonna be picking that up. Um, I read, like, the first two chapters of that wasn't really into it, but uh, it's it's nice that they're bringing it over for fans of the mangaka. And then um, the one I'm really excited about is Murcielago, which is this awesome, trashy, bloody Yuri manga about a serial killer lesbian hunting other serial killers, and it is fucking awesome and i love that i love reading that one so this this is i'm so excited that's been it's been licensed i mean it in a trashy and an appealing way an appealing like fun kind of way it's not like i don't know i guess it depends on taste but it's like that's true yeah it all depends on the attitude of the characters like you can tell like this this series doesn't take itself too seriously at all it's just about having a fun time it's trashy fun it's not like trashy in terms of we're gonna have all this gory explicit violence and shock and like do these horrifying things to these characters because we can it's more and because we can and we want to like make it artificial the series artificially more dramatic it's like yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this because it's going to be crazy fun, and that's what I like about Marcielago. It's it's a good time. It's a good read. I recommend it. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd like to check it out. But uh, moving on from that to uh, Kodansha, uh, Kodansha looks like they have licensed the manga adaptation of Clockwork Planet, which is, which is originally a light novel written by Yu Kamiya, who apparently is the author of No Game No Life. Mm-hmm. Which I actually surprisingly hear pretty good things about No Game No Life. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed No Game No Life. I mean, I really, I really thought the anime was really funny, really like cool and interesting. I was also planning to check out the novels for that, but I'm also gonna check out like the this series because I mean, I think that I I don't really know if the all the I don't really know like. Uh, I, I don't have a sense of, like, the author's, like, works in terms of his, like, overall kind of re- style, but based on what I've seen from No Game No Life, I think that his ideas and his tone in his writing are really interesting and appeal to me, so that's definitely, that's, so I definitely am interested in checking more of his stuff out. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind maybe checking that out. It uh, looks like um, we we talked about last episode how there was an Amazon listing for something called Ichi-F, which is basically an autobiographical work about the uh, Fukushima disaster back in uh, 2011. Uh, it looks like Kodansha basically confirmed that, yeah, they, they picked that up for a release. Uh, the series itself is three volumes. 
uh, but it looks like they're going to be uh, putting that all into one collected edition and putting that available for purchase on March 7th, 2017, which is pretty much it's it's close to the sixth anniversary of the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami disasters. And then uh looks like also they have licensed something called uh, Fire Force, which is a manga authored by uh Atsushi Okubo, the author of Soul Eater. Yeah. And uh that's coming out this fall. So Yeah, I've read I've read I read a couple chapters of Fire Force. Um I don't think it's as good as Soul Eater, but I think a lot of Soul Eater fans would like it. But uh yeah. So I mean it's good that they brought it over. Actually I have a question about that. Yeah. So I from from the from the first from the cover of the first volume, it looks like um the main character looks a lot like um by the way, kinda looks a lot like Rin from uh from from uh, Blue Exorcist to me, but I don't know if that's just me or uh, um, I guess, yeah, I guess he sort of looks like him. So, is this series also another fantasy series, or is it is it pretty grounded? Uh, no, it's a fantasy series. Okay, that's interesting. They're, they're fu- they firefight, like, these people who turn into, into fire monster things. Oh, so. that sounds cool, I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a pretty easy sell. Um, so those are both coming out. I'm going to be reading both of those. EGF, I already said I was kind of interested in reading. Um, but um, it looks like Seven Seas also licensed some stuff. Uh, go over go over some of that for, for real quick for me, Sid. Mm-hmm. Yes, Seven Seas has licensed a few interesting things. They've licensed Kentaro Sato's manga Magical Girl Sight, which is a spin-off of Magical Girl Apocalypse. So another like horror manga featuring Magical Girls. I've definitely seen that around, but I haven't read any of it. Magical Girl Apocalypse is a weird series, to say the least. I do like weird stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's worth checking out. I mean, I don't know if it's like necessarily well written, but it has an entertaining <laughs> charm to it. I I would say. Okay. Like even just the novelty of seeing these zombie magical girls like sp- screaming magical. Like zombies, <laughs> I think that has that. I think it would make a pretty fun anime. But anyway, uh, continuing on, uh, we have another series called Species Domain here, which is about people who are born with features from different creatures. So basically, about like uh, elves, dwarves, harpies, dragons, and stuff. But they don't have powers associated with those creatures. They just have the. They just physically look like them. So it's actually kind of a series that seems to be based on, like, dealing with stereotypes. So I think that actually has an interesting premise and potential. Yeah, that that actually doesn't sound too bad, in theory. No, that actually sounds really interesting. Like, it could make for some an interesting vehicle for social commentary. So actually, I am interested in checking that out. Uh, also, they've licensed Plum Crazy Tales of a Tiger Slide Cat, for all you fans of cat manga out there. About a cute little cat named Plum who lives with her family and is happy... Until an obnoxious white kitten joins the household. So that seems like a fun, cute little thing. And then from the mangaka behind Orange, we have Dreamin' Sun, which is about a high school student named Shimana, whose mother passed away, father remarried, has a son with a new, with his new wife. And so because she doesn't really know her place, where she belongs in this new family, she runs away and meets up with this kimono-clad man who she decides to live with, but even though he has some uh, weird living conditions, rules. 
So that seems kind of interesting. I'm, I mean, I liked Orange, so I'm definitely interested in uh, checking out more works for the Megaka. Oh, there you go. And then finally, they've uh, licensed a Hatsune Miku light novel called The Disappearance of Hatsune Miku, which hmm. I, when I hear, when I read that title, I have to wonder if it's just like a, a ripoff of Disappearance of Haru Suzumiya, just replacing Haru with Hatsune Miku. That's what I, that's what I immediately think of when I think about that. I yeah. think of Disappearance of Haru Suzumiya, just instead of Haru, you put Hatsune Miku in there. So, it's weird. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing, uh, but doesn't matter. My, my sisters are going to buy it no matter what, because they're slaves to Vocaloid. Uh, but anyway, um, sorry, my Vocaloid uh, bias kind of came out. So, uh, Sid, uh, Dark Horse also licensed some stuff, speaking of Hatsune Miku. Yeah, Dark Horse also licensed some things. They've licensed another Hatsune Miku spinoff called Hatsune Miku uh, Riku- Rinchan Now. Um, Rinchan now. Rinchan now. Now, now, now. Which I guess is about like I don't know. I don't know the Hatsune Miku lore, but based on the cover image, it's like about one of her friends. Um, or it looks. It, yes, all I know about this is that another it's about, Vocaloid character or whatever. It's it's about the yellow one. The yellow one. I don't know. I don't know anything about Vocaloid. All I know is my sister never shuts up about it. <laughs> Basically, all the stuff Dark Horse has licensed at Anime Expo have been are spinoffs. Like they licensed another Neon Genesis Evangelion spinoff called Legend of the Pico Pico Middle School Students. How many of these are there, by the way? A zillion. Okay, sounds legit. And this one is another gag manga Evangelion oh, spinoff. Boy. Which we all know, we all know how much you like gag manga of uh, of existing properties. <laughs> yeah. And it's about, and this manga's version of Nerve raises kit raises gamers, gamer kids, what? to be Evangelion pilots. So, what? I mean, I guess that I guess that kind of actually no, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. So apparently, in this series, Shinji, uh, Ray, Asuka, Kao are all gamers. I guess so. Honestly, that sounds better than the original Evangelion. Uh, I'm gonna have I'm, to. Di- I'm, I'm gonna I'm have sorry. to disagree with you there. But uh, I'm sorry, hot takes. I I'm not a fan of Evangelion in the first place. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, we'll see. Uh, anyway, and then the last thing that they licensed is a manga adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft novel called The Hound and Other Stories, which adapts hmm. three of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Cthulhu Mythos stories: The Hound, The Temple, and The Name of City. There you go. So that's that sounds interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, honestly, out of the three things that Dark Horse is licensed here, that kind of sounds the most interesting. Honestly, yeah, I, I feel the same. And I, I th- and I think altogether, I think, um, God, I don't know. Um, I'd have to say, like, I'm kind of looking forward to Viz's releases. I mean, I mean, they have JoJo Part Four. I'm, there's no way I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, th- they have JoJo, so they automatically win. Uh, like Yen Press's stuff actually kind of looks interesting. What with Erased and um, um, Bunko Stray Dogs, and then um, I'm definitely looking forward to Kodansha's releases. Those all look really cool too. 
Um, but um, it looks like they already have a, have a guest lined up for Anime Expo next year, Anime Expo 2017. Indeed. Uh, next year, they plan to host the Zelda mangaka Akira Himekawa, who draws the manga adaptations of the Legend of Zelda games and has recently been drawing an adaptation of Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. And, Ooh, okay. Yeah, so fans of the Zelda manga, something to look forward to at Anime Expo next year. Mm, there you go. I uh, uh, Tw- Twilight Princess is actually the only Zelda game I've ever played. Really? Yeah, I have a my best friend keeps trying to get me to play other Zelda games, and I'm like, I take too long to play games. I don't know if you want to do that. Uh, <laughs> I infamously take my time on video games, but uh, well, I yeah. don't play any games at all besides Pokemon, so. Uh, Pokemon I haven't played since Pokemon Yellow. I'm not even kidding about that. <laughs> you should try Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Those are my favorites, I think, still. Okay, we'll keep those in mind. Um, but that's cool. They already got guests coming for Anime Expo 2017. I mean, like, Anime Expo this year was pretty much on fire. Oh, yeah. It was pretty explosive in terms of all the news. Yeah, like, we were... Just talking about earlier about all the Crunchyroll DVD and Blu-ray stuff, all the new manga coming out, and One Punch Man's getting a dub in the next uh, week or two. Pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. But I, I think that's it for about all the news, but Sid, I think we, we got an email before we go? Yes, we got a Q&A here from my friend Sparkus Yurt on the Animation Revolution forums. He asks, I'd like to hear you both talk about Rurouni Kenshin a bit more. You both mentioned it was one of your favorite series, so it'd be cool to hear you both talk about why that is. Favorite arc, favorite character, moment, villain, and, as a bonus question, do you think Watsky will ever be able to top it? Hmm. Alright, so... Favorite story arc. I think it would definitely have to be Kyoto. Honestly, I mean, I don't know if that's like... I don't know if that's kind of a cop-out because a lot of people like that arc, but... It's the most popular choice, sure. Yeah, but I mean, I, I also like... I I think the arc after that is the last arc of the series, isn't it? Yeah. The the Anishi stuff? Yeah, the revenge arc. Yeah, yeah. I really like that arc, too. Um, and then uh, I remember, actually, something in particular I really liked about Rurouni Kenshin when I was reading it was that um, something that I thankfully isn't completely prevalent in too many shonen manga but is prevalent in a lot of like the really popular ones like Dragon Ball and y- and Yu-Gi-Oh even is that um what i liked about Rurouni Kenshin was that uh was that the secondary cast you know people such as uh, uh Sanosuke uh, uh Kaoru um and even um Yahiko uh, his name escaped me for a second uh but uh, I, I liked how the secondary cast of Kenshin always had something to do, even with Kaoru and and I mean I know she kind of uh, became less prevalent as the series go on, but even she had her moments. Um, I especially liked Sanosuke's character arc. I actually thought that was kind of interesting. I, I liked that. I liked that he wasn't forgotten, especially like even even near the end of the manga during the revenge arc, they all had their own uh, battles to fight and everything. They they all got to do something. Um, and they they didn't they didn't just stand by and watch the important thing happen, you know, like with Dragon Ball and Yu Gi Oh. And as much as I love both those series, that was something I especially hate about those series. But 
you know, with Kenshin and even stuff like uh, Gintama to an extent. I I like I like in a shonen manga when the secondary cast actually gets to do something and they actually have some kind of character development and basically the spotlight isn't on the main character the entire time. Yeah, it's it's definitely an unfortunate side effect of a lot of series with like big like casts that the secondary characters fall by the wayside as the series goes on. It happened in Dragon Ball, it happened in you know, Naruto, it happened in Bleach, but Kenshin kept its focus very consistent on a very, you know, group of strongly characterized and well developed a cast of characters. And it did so for the entirety of its run. And Every character feels fully realized and has a very totally satisfying arc by the end of the series. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and I think uh, another easy answer to the question as to, like, what we like about Kenshin is, um, I mean, the art's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I always feel like, um, like, when when, Ken- when Kenshin hits somebody with his sword, you feel that impact. Mm-hmm. Which which is something which is a feeling that I don't actually get from a lot of battle manga, surprisingly. Yeah, there's a lot of weight behind each character's movements. Like, not that say that the Kenshin, everything in Kenshin is necessarily realistic, but yeah. in terms of like, you definitely feel the weight behind characters' actions. You feel the sense of speed, like the te- the energy, the tension. It's not just a bunch of flashy, like, techniques. It does not just a bunch of things that look cool, but they don't really seem to have any impact. Like, you can, you can see the impact of every move a character makes in Kenshin. It goes a long way into making the world feel very real and very alive. I, I can't really think of anything in particular else I like about Kenshin. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything to add, Sid? Well, what's your favorite moment and favorite villain first? Oh, oh, favorite moment. That's a, oh man. Yeah, that's, that's where my, um, I think that's where my memory of Kenshin starts to become a little fuzzy. Um, I think my favorite moment, what, one of my favorites in Kenshin was, um, I mean, it's, it's so silly and over the top, but I really like, um, I forget when this happens. I think this happened at the end of the uh, Kyoto arc where we actually get to see, uh, Shishio in hell. And he's basically like, well, I guess I'll just take over hell now. Yeah. And it's like, that's, it's like, it's probably, it's easily probably the most over the top moment in Kenshin. Cause it's like, oh, okay. But I don't know. Something about that just really left me, um, just, just kind of left me in awe. Like Shishio, I thought was a really awesome villain right up until the end. Like so- something about that just made me think I'm not going to forget this villain anytime soon. <laughs> Because yeah. like, cause, cause, cause it was like, oh, I died? Oh, that's no big deal. I guess I'll just yeah, take over hell now as, as something to do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that was kind of amazing in its own way. But um, I know, um, I remember there being moments with uh, Sanosuke that I really liked, but I, I, can't, I can't remember a lot of them off the top of my head. I just, I just like that we, I, I like that we, that we got to learn more about Sanosuke's, um, I guess origins and his past and kind of where he came from. I like I like that you know he actually we actually got to spend time with Sonosuke to actually learn more about him. Mm-hmm. And he he wasn't just like he wasn't just Kenshin's sidekick. Yeah, I mean he gets most of a volume to himself into his story. I remember really enjoying a lot of that stuff. But yeah, like 
I guess also I I, I, I do remember liking um, I remember liking uh, Yahiko. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I, I I liked the moments where Yahiko matured, and you can really tell that like he really idolizes Kenshin. And he wants to he wants to become like Kenshin. Yeah, Yahiko's character growth is excellent. I mean, Yako, I think, is my second favorite character in the series after Kenshin himself. I really enjoyed his character arc. I really enjoyed how he came of age. And, like, and his character arc was also, I think, the most consistently developed between, and evenly developed between all the arts besides Kenshin. And, and I think that it had a really satisfying, like, payoff, like, at the end of the series, too. Like, Yako, in many respects, represents the new generation. And while Kenshin represents, like, kind of the old generation, and it's really cool to see, like, how the two, like, rub off on each other, and then, like, kind of ending the series, where Kenshin gives Yahiko, like, his reverse blade sword, and, like, I I thought that was really satisfying. Like, I really like Yahiko's arc a lot. Yeah, but, um, I don't know, I I think other than that, I just, um, I don't really know what else to say in particular. Well, for me, I think what I love about Kenshin is that it's just so perfectly realized thematically and also in terms of its setting. It's clear Wasi had a real clear passion for this time period. Like, he did painstaking research on things like the Stinsengui, like, had the historical period that Kenshin takes place in. Uh, he, like, really had a clear sense of the kind of story he wanted to tell. He really knew, kind of from the beginning, where he wanted to take the story, even if he didn't have all the details of the story planned out. I feel that, like, Kenshin as a character is incredibly consistent from when you first see him to when you last see him. And all I feel that about all the characters is that the series progresses so naturally like, everything makes sense in the way the story progresses. Like, it feels, yes, of course this is how things should play out. This is, of course, where things will lead. Like, it's just such a, I mean, there's such a perfect sense of plotting. There's just a perfect progression of character arcs of the story from one point to another. And it's just, I don't, there aren't a lot of manga, I can, a lot of stories, really, that I can really feel that, yes, every point, I think, I just felt, was felt so natural. There wasn't any point where I thought, hmm, did you really need that? Mm, or, couldn't you have done it like this? Or, I didn't really feel that with Kenshin. Maybe there were some parts that maybe could have been taken I don't know. I don't think there's any part that I really would have liked to see taken out. I guess the least consequential arc of all the major arcs is Rajuda, like that conflict. But even then, there's just so much of value that's added there in terms of, like, affecting Kenshin's arc and affecting Yahiko's arc that I think it's so valuable to keep in. Like, there's nothing in Kenshin that ever disappointed me in the way the story progressed. It all made sense. It all felt natural. And it, it never felt like uh, Watsky was taking the easy way out. Even when it came to something like, you know, Kaoru not really being murdered by Anishi, like he sh- there was just a body double. Even that felt like it made sense in terms of Anishi, because it made sense for Anishi's character and the effect it had on the story and like the reason that ca- that was done, like, that had a tangible result. It 
I, the story wouldn't have been the same if they, if it didn't go in that direction. Like, there are a lot of moments like that that I just, when I think about it, and when I think, how about the story, the way it was constructed, it just all flows so well to me. But overall, I think what I really love about Kenshin is just the thematic undercurrents behind it. It's a story of changing times. It's a story of embracing your future by letting go of your past and that's reflected in Kenshin as a character. Kenshin's whole struggles throughout the story is to move on from the person he was and to try and become a new person, walk a different path in his life. And throughout the story, he keeps struggling with those urges to relapse into his old ways to relapse into a killer and by the end of the Kyoko arc he has overcome that urge he has overcome that impulse but the thing is and this is where I disagree with people who say that Kyoto should have been the end of the series because that was a high point I that's why I love the revenge arc that's why that's my favorite arc in the series because it addresses the other part of Kenshin's like character and what he needed to still overcome which was like he hadn't forgiven himself for the sins of his past he hadn't forgiven himself for the people he killed uh, for everything he had done for Tomoe's debt he hadn't forgiven himself for any of that, and that was still all haunting him. And in that arc, his past literally comes back to torment him, to haunt him, in the form of Inishi. His entire goal is to get on revenge on Kenshin for you know being responsible for the death of his sister. And Kenshin cannot disagree with Inishi because he thinks he's right. He does feel responsible for that. He hasn't himself forgiven himself for that. And that's an interesting struggle in that Kenshin is fighting, you know, he's still fighting for his life to protect what he believes in. He, he might not agree with Anishi's, like, philosophy, but he, but he empathizes and he kind of agrees that with his assertion that, yeah, Kenshin was responsible for a lot of bad. He was responsible for Tomoe's death. And then Kenshin keeps having this struggle with all the wrongs he did done to people, like a lot of the people, like in the revenge arc, out to get him. There, yeah, there's some people who are only like there because they like the cause destruction. But there's this one character in particular. I think his name is like Kawa Chiri something. He's the big guy. He has like the axe hand or whatever. And like he, that guy, he has a very compelling like story, a very compelling reason to hate Kenshin. That you know, it clearly bothers Kenshin too. Like, cause he knows, like, he did this guy wrong. And co- that conflict is really interesting. But it, the point of the revenge arc is that Kenshin needs to let go. He needs to forgive himself for what he's done. He needs to move on with his life. He needs to embrace what he has in the present. He needs to make amends for that by doing as much good as he can in the present. And he needs to protect what he cares about now. And he needs to live for the future. And he needs to live for his own future and his own happiness. And I think in the revenge arc, that all comes together beautifully. And that leads into my favorite moment of the series. It's that point when Kenshin realizes that. And it's such a great scene. Like, first of all, you know, Kawa... Whatever his name is, the axe hand guy. He breaks out of prison and, like, he's causing muck in the city looking for Kenshin. And, like, Kenshin, of course, he's depressed because he thinks, like, you know, he let 
Kaoru die, like he let Tomoe die, like it's his fault. He feels responsible, and he just feels so tired for, about everything. Like he just he doesn't have the energy anymore to deal with anything. He can't. He doesn't have the energy to just keep moving forward. And then ultimately he gets talked to by like this old man who also lives in like this junkyard, like place for vagrants that Kenshin like kind of secluded himself in. And like this old man, he's Tomoe and Anishi's fodder. I don't think Kenshin exactly knows that when he's talking to him, but like we find that out later on. And it's a really great scene where like Tomoe's fodder that he, he tells him like he needs to like, you know, move on. He needs to like focus on what he has now. He needs to protect, you know, he, if he, he, if he really wants to make amends for like his past, he needs to, you know, save as many lives for those he's responsible for losing. And I think, and then ultimately Kenshin gets the drive to, you know, fight again. He walks up, he grabs a sword and it's just beautiful sequence like with uh, I don't know what the little girl's name, who's like Gahiko's like crush or whatever, but like she had come to him earlier, you know, to try and get him to help, you know, because Yahiko, and another great scene, Yahiko, because he's the only one there who can like do anything to stop like the Kabota Kawajiri, whatever his name is, Rampage, like he's fighting back, and of course he's fighting a losing battle, but like he keeps standing tall and he's just. And he's not giving up, even though he's, like, getting beat into a bloody pulp and whatever. And then there's just this beautiful panel, like, beautiful sequence of panels where, like, we see, like, uh, the girl, Hotaru, I think it is? I don't know. She looks like Hotaru from Sailor Moon, so I'm just gonna call her Hotaru. <laughs> so, basically, Hotaru, like, she, 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 like, turns around and, like, we see her face, like, light up as she sees Kenshin, like, leaving the junkyard and going back to the city. And, like, Kenshin comes back, he's He's a stronger character. He's f- forgiven himself. He's ready to move forward. He's ready to fight. He's ready to go rescue Kaoru. And, you know, there's more development, of course. There's more closure he needs that he gets in the fight with Anichi. But that moment, Kenshin's character, then all that thematic undercurrent, that, that is why I love Kenshin. That entire chapter, that, where all that happens, where, Ken, you know, Kenshin, Gets the urge to fight again. That's, that's, that entire chapter sums up why I love Kenshin. And, uh, yeah, so I think that answers the question about why I love Kenshin. I mean, in general, like, with a series, like, I love series about pacifistic protagonists who struggle with, like, inner moral conflicts and are trying to make amends for, like, wrongdoings they've done in the past. Like, this is also why I like stuff like, um, Trigun, why I love Assassination Classroom, why I love the characters, Rasta Sampede and Koro Sensei. You know, similarly, uh, that's why I love Kenshin, so that's another reason. It's just the kind of story that really appeals to me. But, of course, it's just so well-crafted. It just has such a unique take on its setting. Of course, like, there's plenty of uh, other manga that take place in this time period, but I don't think that any of their worlds just feels so as alive as the world of Kenshin does and has as much love and respect for the history. I mean, Gintama. I mean, but that takes place in kind of a fictionalized version. Fictionalized fantasy version. I mean, there, there's a lot of great research that Sirachi has put into uh, the setting of Gintama. A lot of great allusions. But, like, in terms of just, like, a grounded kind of thing, 
like tension just feels so well realized and I really love it a lot for that. Um, there's just a whole things too, like rave about tension that I just keep, you know, I don't know where to focus. And that's why, that's why I like writing better than I do like speaking spontaneously because I can organize and focus my thoughts later. But either, in any case, I mean, I basically cover all the bases. I guess just to mention my favorite villain, you know, if you would have asked me, after I had finished reading Kenshin, it would have been Anishi, because Anishi was, like, the most complex... I think he was the most morally complex character, at least among the villains. I mean, in the sense, he's not a good person at all. I mean, no. But, like, he's not a bad person either. Like, we see him as a kid, and he was always kind of this, like, really stubborn, like only one way is right kind of guy. Uh, he's, he's where he was very like, he was always kind of a zealot in his own way, but, um, he has such an effect on Kenshin personally as well. And he has his own kind of like inner struggles that he's dealing with in terms of his relationship to his sister and his grudges that I found interesting. So I would have said Anishi, but honestly, as time has gone by, I do find myself gravitating towards Shishio I mean, part of that is because there is that inherent cool factor in Shishio. He is just a fun character. Like, we talked about that hell scene earlier. Like, you gotta love a villain like that. He's just like, oh, okay, so now this, uh, there's a new challenge and something new for me to take over and wreck. So I love that. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I also love just how Shishio dies and like he he burning alive because his body caught on flames because it was so dry or whatever and he's like just laughing and laughing while he's burning alive it's just such an awesome villain that scene it somehow it never really feels like his loss completely no it really doesn't I mean he doesn't get what he wants exactly but I think uh, he's satisfied with what he's done, too, it seems. Is it, Shishio, that, that's the thing I kind of come to respect about Shishio, is that there's more layers to the character than I initially, like, felt while reading it. When I felt like, re- when I initially, like, was reading Kenshin, I was kind of not really seeing the appeal of Shishio, like, in so much, because I didn't think he was, like, necessarily a particularly, like, complex character. Like, he's very simple like in terms of his motivation at least he was very straightforward he was like oh we need to go back to the old ways of doing things this generation is weak and soft so we're going to topple the government and instate a new order of anarchy and chaos and whatever just just like the rest of japan i don't like change yeah basically basically so i mean he has a very provincial and stubborn mindset um, and he, and he was, and he has a very straightforward personality, but there are layers to his character. And that's something that I've come to appreciate more as I thought about the character. And also because of those, uh, you know, two like side story chapters that were released a couple of years ago that explored Shishio and Yumi, I think is her name's relationship, his lover. I think so, so. and yeah. I really, that, that really opened some eyes until not only kind of their relationship, between Shishio and Yumi, as was explored in the series, which initially kind of left me a little confu- confused. I don't know if confused is the right word, but I 
didn't really feel satisfied with it in terms um like when you know Shijo like plunged his swords through Yumi to get to Kenshin, but like it makes sense now. It makes sense for both characters why that uh, why that was a sat and that it's more satisfying after having read like those backstory chapters about them. So like the information given in that and just like some other like subtle things about the character, I just come to appreciate a lot more. And there is just the undeniable fact that Chishu is just kind of a fun, cool villain. Like, I used to not really care for Frieza in Dragon Ball Z because he was just, you know, he's he's just pretty a straightforward character. Like, he's, like, power-hungry. He's, like, cruel, malicious. Like, there's not he's not as complex as, like, you know, the fat Majin Buu or but he, but, Piccolo. But, but Frieza... But but Frieza loves being evil, and that's what makes him fun. Exactly, and that's what I just come to... That's why I love Frieza now. uh, Because I realized Frieza's... Frieza's just a pompous, like, prick. Like, he thinks he's (laughs) better than everyone else. He thinks he's better... He's like a spoiled rich boy. He thinks he's better than everyone else. He acts all polite and whatever, but it's just a facade. And that... And he... And when... We really see his true covers. He's just this vile, sadistic motherfucker. And when we see him, like, not get his way, and when he's on the losing streak, you see he's just so pathetic and just has no integrity or, like, a sense of shame to his character at all. Like, there's actually a lot to like about Frieza's personality and character, and I kind of, and the the way I've changed my opinion on Frieza over the years, I've kind of changed my opinion on Shishio too. There's a lot I, a lot of about his personality, a lot about like the subtle details of his characterization that I just really like now. So that's why I think I would have to answer Shishio is my favorite Kenshin villain. And then finally, to address the question, do I think Watsuki will ever be able to make it work better than Kenshin? Uh, okay, can I can I can I answer this first? Yeah, yeah, you do. My, it. My, my, you do my, it. my answer my answer is pretty succinct. Uh, no. Uh huh. And why? Well, uh, we talked. I think we talked about last episode how I've read all of like Busa Renkin, and like I mean to be fair, like that series wasn't like it's not as terrible as most people think it is. I mean, it's not the best, but like it's fun, and I enjoyed reading it all the way through. But like. The thing about that is that Watsuki had a lot of different ideas for Buso Renkin that unfortunately he didn't get to follow up on because like, because it, it did get canceled at some point. And honestly, like, not even just that, from what I've heard and seen of his other works, like, none of his other works have hit me the same way Kenshin has, and I don't think they will. Actually, it's funny, I, um, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before about how, like, I, um... I have a lot of manga on my plan to read section of my anime list. And so what I do is like, I'll pick random, uh, I'll pick random titles from my list using like random.org and pick like a number between one and like a thousand and something. Cause I just, I, of course I have that much on my anime list and I'm probably not ever going to finish, but like, I just so happened to randomly pick Gunblaze West, which is another work by Watsuki that, uh, was a lot more short-lived than Buso Renkin. That lasted about three volumes. Um, that's not even like 20, 30 chapters. So, um, I'm planning on reading that pretty soon at some point, finally. And I mean, like, judging from the length of that in particular, uh, I feel like Gunblaze West, like, this is just me, my first impression before I even 
go on to read it is that like Watsky probably had some ideas and had some really great ideas for Guns Blaze West, but because it just wasn't doing well in Jump, it got canceled pretty uh, prematurely. Again, far earlier so than uh, Buso Renkin, which Buso Renkin lasted like ten volumes. That's still that that's like almost a hundred chapters. That that's a pretty decent length from for a Jump manga uh, in particular. But um, I mean, just like I feel like I don't even have to read other Kenshin or other Kenshin, other of uh, other Watsky's works to. To, to understand that, yeah, his other works aren't going to impact me like Kenshin did, and they're not going to they're not going to impress me like Kenshin did. I don't know if that sounds presumptuous or not, but uh, that's just how I feel. I don't know if Watsi will ever make a work that's better than Kenshin, because Kenshin was worth lightening a model series. It was a product of the time uh, it was made in. It was a product of you know experiences uh, Watsky's interest. It was a product of a whole bunch of things that just came together and just worked really well. Um, so it's hard. I mean, it's clear that Watsky does, hasn't run out of ideas. He has tons of ideas. Booster Rankin and nothing else shows that he has more ideas than he could be able to execute in the time he needed to. But uh, I think that it's going to be definitely a challenge to live up to Kenshin's reputation and its legacy. Yep. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I also think that in my experience, a mangaka's best work generally has been their first work. I feel that Akira Toriyama's best work is Dr. Slump. Rumiko Takahashi's best work is Yurusa Yatsura. There's a lot of manga I feel like their best work was their first work, if it's like a full-fledged kind of thing and not a short, like, short-lived series. So, Watsuki might be kind of like one of those mangaka and, like, his best works, his first work. And then his subsequent work, like, he might make another series that's really good, but as good as Kenshin? Eh, who knows? But I think that he definitely has the potential to do it. It just remains to be seen. I don't know. I'm... I not 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 that I don't think Watsky is talented by any means, but like I feel like something as good as Kenshin at this point is very unlikely. But that's just me personally. I'd like to be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. I think that answers our questions, right? Yep, I think so. Okay. Good discussion. Yeah, good. It was, it was actually pretty good. Uh, so I think that's about it for this episode. This was. Uh, unexpectedly very packed. Uh, but uh, anyway, before we end the show, Sid, uh, where can the good people find you? You can find me on my anime list and Twitter under the name Lum Ramayasha. Also, you can find me on Animation Revelation under that name. And uh, right now, I'm writing some stuff for our seasonal anime Clusterfuck, which is basically our equivalent to ANN's preview guide. So we've been updating kind of daily with that because we're doing a new format where we put out reviews as they, as we write them out instead of just in one big lump sum kind of thing. So you can go over to Animation Revelation and read those. I've written some pieces on Berserk and Days in particular that are just standalone pieces. So yeah. And, uh, also uh, in the forums, we've started up a greatest anime episode ever competition, which I'm excited about because I've been wanting to do this for competition for a long time. So if you like doing forum competitions and you want to, you know, put your ba- ballot in for what the greatest anime episode ever is, head on over there and vote in that because that'll be a good time. 
Otherwise, I also write reviews for Animation Revolution and uh, in owlcomic.com. Uh, on owlcomic.com, I write manga reviews. Um, haven't done any lately because I've been extremely busy. But hopefully I'll be able to get some volume review stuff up shortly. And maybe some... I'm not making any promises, but I might... Tr I'll try to do some weekly chapter reviews again. Maybe not for Yamanaka and Seven Deadly or Fairy Tale, but maybe something else. Something that might be not be... Uh, not... I won't... I won't have to commit too much time to because it'll be ending, hint, hint, but we'll see. And yeah, that, that about covers it. Okay, well, uh, there you go. Follow all of Sid's stuff. Do it. If you like listening to him, do it. Uh, as for me, uh, you could find me on Twitter as uh, SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. And actually, if, if you're fo if you're interested in seeing what I'm watching or reading, yeah, go, go to my anime list. Um, yeah, I'm, I, it's, uh, my account is uh, under the same name, SniperKing323. Um... I also do a lot of other different podcasts. Um, if you like Gintama, uh, you're uh, you're a fan of the fan of the manga or the anime, um, or, or you know wh whichever of the two, go to Life Lessons the Gintama Manga Cast. Uh, it's basically I I talk about the Gintama manga from the very beginning uh, through the discontinued uh, Viz, Me uh, Viz Media release, and uh, you should go follow that at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. If you want to hear me talk about Toriko, go to heavenlykings.wordpress.com. That's the Heavenly Kings podcast. If you want to hear me talk about Detective Conan slash Case Closed, listen to One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. Uh, I was recently actually just on a uh, – I was a guest on another uh, another podcast, a very, very, uh, very new podcast by a friend of mine, uh, Leah. She is – Basically, starting a podcast called Talkie Talks Manga. Um, Sid, I'm going to give you a link so you can maybe uh, put a link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I want everybody to go listen to that. It's um, it's very, very new, and Leah is very new to podcasting. But uh, uh, she basically talks about manga as well, but she focuses on more, I guess, uh, lesser known, maybe obscure titles. Uh, we talked about uh, what was it? Uh, we talked about a manga from Seven Seas called Clay Lord, um, very short-lived, uh, three-volume little series. Uh, and uh, I talked about we we kind of went over the first chapter, and I kind of talked about my thoughts on uh, that series as a whole. So if you're interested in uh, interested in that, uh, go listen to that. Uh, I had a lot of fun recording that. So uh, that's Taki Talks manga. But as for manga Mavericks and all comic as a whole. You want you want to listen to more of this podcast? Uh, you can find more of it at all-comic.com. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. Uh, you can uh, be like Sid's friend there and uh, send us an email about anything manga related. You know, uh, ask us what our favorite series are. Ask us how we're doing. I don't know anything about us or manga or the podcast in general at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Um, and I think that's about it. So, hope everybody enjoyed episode 12. Uh, we'll see you guys in the next two weeks for episode 13. Bye, guys. Sayonara.